Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Pastor Al is out of town, and for some reason he trusted me up here, so I get to cause trouble while he can't do anything about it. So, everyone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone say amen. Amen. Everyone say thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to you is through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that this morning we would just see you in a new light, God, that we would we would get to honor you and worship you and celebrate you and, and not forget what you've done for us today, God. God, I pray that you would uh, help me bridle my tongue where it needs bridled and loose my lips where they need loosened, God. God, we love you and we honor you and we just exalt your name above every other name. God, we love you so much. Amen. Real quick, I wanted to just read some of the lyrics that we sang this morning because they are my sermon. How's that sound? It says, no sin is bigger than your blood. Everyone say amen. No shame is stronger than your love. Amen. You said it is finished, it is done. Everyone say hallelujah. That's a good word right there. Death couldn't keep you in the ground. Everyone say amen. You rose in power and you took hell down. Everyone say amen. Amen. Come on. That power is living in us now. Everyone say hallelujah. hallelujah. That is exactly what I'm preaching on this morning. That you actually have permission to conquer sin in your life. The church is really good at recognizing that they are sinners in need of a savior. The church is really good at dying to sin, but we're not really good at raising back to life in Christ. I used to, like, when I would have an opportunity like this to come and preach, young me, not that I'm not young, I'm still very young, I get it, I'm a child, so (laughs) that's why they put me in youth ministry, I guess, I don't know, but I used to, like, oh my gosh, I get to preach on Sunday morning, this is awesome, and I would spend all month, like, crying before the Lord and be like, God, give me this awesome revelation that no one's ever heard before because I want it to be super cool. And I want to be like, mic drop moments, see you later in a year when I get to preach again, right? But the more that I've like grown to know God and have experienced his love for me and understanding that we are rooted and established in his love, the more I actually get to preach out of a place of just loving the person in front of me. First loving him, and then being able to extend that love to you guys. And so as I was like preparing this whole week, Kristen, my wife, all, all week was like, it's easy, just love the people. Ask God how he wants to extend his love today. Just love the person in front of you. I'm like, okay, I'm just loving you guys. That's all I'm doing. So I actually, like... When the Lord was kind of leading me into this direction of where and how he wanted to minister, it was just super strange because he's like, you're going to talk about sin. And I thought, oh, no one likes to talk about sin. But he's like, no, no, no. 
You're talking about sin because I love your church and I don't want them to stay there. It's like, all right, cool, I can do that. Like, that's victory. We're going to talk about victory today. Um, But, like, because, like, I actually, I preach every week, twice a week with the youth group. And um, so I get the opportunity to dive into all these different books of the Bible and topics and what's the Lord doing with our youth. But when I have this opportunity to speak to this church right here, right now, I'm always drawn to the preaching of the simple gospel message. Because the simple gospel message is the very foundation of everything that we think, say, and do. It's the very reason why we are sitting here today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's another song. It might have even been the same song that I read from. But it's like, I will preach Christ and Christ crucified. Because it was at that moment in which we were able to step into that place of victory and eternal love and joy and and companionship with the God of the universe. So what other message would you want to preach when you you get to preach once a year? It's the message of eternal salvation because God loves you. And you don't get to walk in the fullness of what God has for you until you first have an understanding of what God has done for you. Because, like, the message of the gospel is, like, if you don't get that, then I don't care how much you understand about X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Because all things, the love of God, the provision of God, healing from God, joy, peace, love, all of those things flow from the gospel. If, God, if Christ didn't first die on the cross, then we wouldn't have access to what he has given us. So we have to have an understanding first of our authority in Christ through his blood so that we can walk it out. So God has had a plan for redemption. He's had a plan for victory over sin for literally, here's the great news, all of eternity. Before you were even thought of by another man. Before man even existed, before this very earth that we are sitting on, flying through outer space, God already had a plan. Before he spoke us into existence, before he said, let there be light and there was, he already had a plan. Because he's eternal. He's sovereign. He's above every other thing. So first, to understand his plan, you have to understand... That his plan comes up from a place of high above everything. He's greater than you can ask, think, or imagine. He is above and beyond. So first you have to understand that. That God is actually bigger than sin. So that's what gives him authority over sin. Right? So for all of eternity, he's had a plan for redemption over sin. He's had a plan for victory in our lives. So what I want to do... Is, did you know you can actually find the gospel in all 66 books of the Bible? It's true. If you actually read them, the gospel is there. From Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, you can find the gospel message, the, the plan of, of, of resurrection life, the plan of redemption for you in each book of the Bible. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to show you in Genesis the gospel. I'm going to show you in Revelation 
and then I'm going to show you a little bit in the middle of how it applies to us, okay? The other 63 books that I'm not going to talk about, that's your job to go find it, okay? Sound good? So we're going we're gonna to dive through the scriptures today. It's going to be super fun. But first, I wanted to share this story of how I got to this message because it was, it's supernatural. Super cool, actually. And so I don't know how long it was, maybe a, a month and a half ago. Um, we have a two-year-old son, almost three, named Judah. Judah's awesome. Um, he's not awesome at sleeping still, but that's all right. Uh, but one night we, were, um, we went to bed. And we hear, like, a crying and a screaming coming from his room. Like, okay, that's different. He's not just awake. He's afraid of something. We go in. We get him. We bring him into our bed. I don't need your opinions on bringing kids to our bed. I was trying to get some sleep, right? (laughs) It's reality of it, okay? We brought him into our bed, and he was afraid. And there was this, like... Like, oh, okay, like he's, he's struggling with something. He was like, ah. So we just prayed. We said, God, we pray that you would take away fear. We, we pray that you would just conquer whatever this is, God. Uh, we just speak against uh, any plan of the enemy. You know, we just prayed for him. We laid him down with us because we're like, hey, let's, let's just try to get some rest. And he wakes up again. He starts crying and crying. And we, we pray again. And, and he goes, he's, he's like asleep at this point, but kind of sleep talking. He goes, Jesus came. Jesus came and took the head of the snake. And I was like, wait. I looked at Chris and I said, did you hear what he just said? Yeah, Jesus came and took the head of the snake. And I was like, wait a second. My two-year-old's biblical literacy is not to the place where he should know that Jesus comes and literally bruises his heel on the head of the snake. That is a supernatural thing that happened. He literally had an encounter with the living God where he saw and knew that the king of kings came and took the head of the very thing that was torturing him that night. Come on. Woo! That gives me the Holy Spirit, like, goosebumps. I don't know. Even still. So, if my two-year-old son can encounter the living God and understand that Jesus comes and takes the head of the snake, how much more ought we understand that Jesus comes and takes the head of the snake? I don't know about you, but when you walk in that place of the knowledge of who God is, that he has already conquered sin and death, come on, that's a church that you don't want to mess with. Revelation 1.8 says this, I am the Lord, Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, I am the Almighty. God is the one who was, is, was, and is to come. That means in all things... When we're talking about his plan for redemption, he always had the plan. He has a plan for the end. He has a plan for right now, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind as we're kind of jumping through the scriptures today. He had a plan. He's still got a plan. And he's got a plan for right in this minute. Minute. So let's, uh, let's start in Genesis, right? Genesis is a good book. Genesis is the very, the very beginning of all that we know. Genesis And this isn't to insult anyone's biblical literacy, but I just want to get us all on the same page, okay? Genesis. It's when God said, be, and it was. Everything that you know. He said, humans, be. Fish, be. Sky, be. Ground, be. Everything just exists. He spoke it, and it was, okay? He created the stars in the sky. He created the fish of the sea, the creepy crawlies, and and everything in between. He created it all actually love that the scriptures say he created creepy crawlies because 
I don't know. That's just, I don't, it's hilarious to me. The creepy crawlies. So he created all of these things. He created a man named Adam. Gave him authority over all things. He said, hey, you're going to name everything. You're going to walk with me in the garden. You're going to be intimate with me. You're going you're gonna to dwell in my shadow. You're going to be with me. Okay, so God is setting a standard in which he wants his creation to be in close, intimate proximity with him. He creates Eve, a partner for Adam, because Adam needed somebody to keep him in line, right? So they're going about, and in comes the enemy, right? The serpent. And he's cunning. He's sly. He knows the word of God. He knows the word of God that was spoken to Adam and Eve that said, you can have all of this, just don't eat from that. He knew exactly what God had said. And he twisted it just a little bit. He said, did he really mean you couldn't eat from that? Did he really mean? So he he led creation into deception. We were deceived and we disobeyed God. Enter sin. That's, it's their fault. It's their fault that we get to struggle and um, experience the reality and wages of sin. But there's this, there's this really awesome moment. Okay, let's read this. If you want to read with me, it's, uh, we're in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. Um, but I'm going to read it so you don't have to. Um, but the first thing that happens is immediately, for the first time ever, grace comes into the picture. Okay, you disobeyed me, and when, you, when I told you not to eat of that, I said that the penalty of eating that would be that you would die. They eat the fruit, and they didn't die. God didn't change his mind. God didn't lie. But he said, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Instead, God decided to put on display his grace for us and show us his patience. 2 Peter 3.15 says, And count the patience of the Lord as our salvation. That means God had all permission, all authority, and all the right to literally crush us in that moment. He could have stopped it all and restarted and said, okay, they messed that up. Let's try again. But he actually showed us the patience of the Lord and counted it as our salvation. That's why when I see, like, somebody that I deeply love struggling in sin, I say, it's not over. It's not over till they breathe that very last breath. It's not over because I know that they can't outrun prayer. Because it's the patience of the Lord that is counted towards our salvation. I know that God is patiently waiting for that person that I love to experience the goodness and freedom of God. And I just like, I didn't plan on saying this, but like hold, I want, that maybe there's a lot of you in this room right now that need to hold on to that. Like there's somebody that you deeply love running from God in sin, sitting their guts out. A hater of the creator of the universe. They cannot outrun your prayer. It is the patience of God that is counted towards our salvation. God is patiently waiting. He's patient enough to not just end it all right now. He's patiently waiting for his sons and daughters to be revealed. So take that home and, and, and 
believe it. If you're praying for somebody, if there's somebody in this room that you're praying for the salvation of somebody, keep praying. The Lord is, dis- is putting on display his patience for them. So the Lord God commanded uh, man saying, don't eat of any of the tree of the garden, uh, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will surely die. Fast forward to Genesis 3.15. Okay. As soon as they ate from that tree, the very next verse is this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now he's not talking to Adam, and he's not talking to Eve. He's actually talking to the source of sin. Adam and Eve committed the crime, but he's actually addressing the person who convinced them to commit the crime. God is so good that when he said, do not eat of this, do not disobey me, for you will surely die, he didn't even scold the person who did it first. The first person he went to is the one who convinced them to do that. And he said, you know what? Because you took my word and you twisted it, there's going to be enmity between you and man, and your head is going to be crushed. That's good news. This is the first gospel in all of Scripture. The first time we see, it's, it's, there's this fancy word, it's um, proto-evangelion. It's a Greek word that means first gospel. So in Genesis, God didn't even wait three chapters to introduce his plan for redemption for all of mankind. Now, it, it's not just like, yeah, like, you're going to get stepped on, and that's going to be it, and, you know... He's saying, no, listen, you deceived the very one that I loved. So one, someone is coming who's actually going to bruise his heel on your head. It actually takes some force to be able to bruise your heel, right? Like Jesus isn't like, oh, take care of that. No, in order to some, for somebody to bruise your heel, you actually have to apply a pressure that is enough to kill something. And, and he's, there's a... There's another phrase in there that I think is interesting. It says, you shall bruise his heel. A lot of like, people will say, well, that's because the this, this serpent is, is lowly, and that's right where he can bite you is the heel. Wrong. That is actually giving authority to that enemy. The only reason that his heel is being bruised by that snake is because it's where his heel is meeting the ground. And the only thing in between his heel and the ground is that head. The snake has no authority to bite Jesus. The snake actually has no authority to even bite you now because the one that was sent to crush his head has already come. And there is a force applied to that head. And it's not a gentle one. It's the wrath of God. We don't talk too much about the wrath of God. Jesus took on our wrath so that he could display it upon the head of the enemy. All of the, the very wrath of God that was stored up for sin is being applied through that two-foot two stomp on the enemy's head. That's some pressure, right? Is that a good word or what? I feel like I'm yelling. Sorry. I'm just excited. You better, because I love you. I love, I love you so much that I want you to get out of sin. So this is the first gospel message 
Okay, Genesis 3, God displays before all of creation his plan for redemption. Now, the interesting part of this, so there is, there is a, a consequence to man's sin. You know, there's increased pain during childbirth. There's this, that, and the other thing. You can read it for yourself. It's in there, Genesis 3. He, he, there, is a, there is a plan, and now we do die. Our, our, our tent, our flesh dies. But the very next thing is interesting. If you read Genesis 3, verse 21, it's interesting because he says, And then he clothed them in skin. Where did he get the skin? There was a sacrifice that was made. An atoning sacrifice. So I always hear that blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're wrong. Eat from the very beginning. From the very beginning, the first thing that God did to clothe us and forgive us for our sin was he sacrificed an animal. Right in Genesis. And then he clothed us with that sacrifice. Why did Jesus have to die a bloody death? Because blood is required to cover the sin. From, from the very beginning of time till the end of time, blood was required so he, he, he sacrifices an animal and he clothes us in our shame and covers us with his covenant. Okay? Now, I'm going to do this a little bit backwards, but bear with me. So we see the gospel in the beginning. Now we're going to talk about the gospel in the end, or the is to come. And then we're going to come back to the middle and talk about the middle gospel. Okay? You still with me? Yeah? Yeah? I don't know what you said, but it's probably funny. So let's jump to Revelation now. Started at the beginning. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Just flip your Bible upside down and open it, and you'll be there. Revelation chapter 12. So this is now the gospel that is to come. Now, Revelation, a lot of people read Revelation in a lot of different ways. I'm not here for that debate. The way that I read it is most of it is symbolism. And that's okay, because God is prophetic. He has prophetically revealed signs to us. When I read about certain things in this chapter, I'm not being literal, okay? Not being literal. It's a sign. When John was receiving the book of Revelation and having this encounter, he was taken up in a place where we haven't been. And he was seeing things that we haven't seen. And he's using prophetic symbolism to paint a picture for us, to bring a message to us. But a lot of these things aren't going to literally happen. Now, you can debate me all you want, but not right now. So don't try. Just after the service, you can. All right, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, symbolism. Some of this stuff's weird. Revelation is a weird book. Okay, it's super weird. There's a lot of it, most of it. I'm like, I don't know what the heck that means. But he says, blessed, are, blessed is the man who reads that. Right? He reads Revelation. So let's read it. Now this is the gospel that is to come. Starting at verse 1. Now a great sign. Remember I said sign? He's talking about signs here. Appeared in heaven. A woman was clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. And on her head was a garland of 12 stars. Now remember, this is prophetic symbolism. There isn't actually a giant woman clothed with the sun coming to the earth. And she will not be standing on the moon. And she will not be wearing stars on her head. 
This is all symbolic, okay? Symbol. Everyone say symbolic. Okay. You get it now. So we have to remember that John's writing plainly. This is a sign, okay? Next verse. Uh, then being with child, she cried out in labor pain to give birth. Interesting that the curse of woman when she sinned was that there would be increased what? Labor pains, right? Okay, now we see these gospels coming together already. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Remember, I said, this is weird. I get it. If this is your first time reading Revelation, don't be too freaked out. This is good news, okay? Behold, a great and fiery red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his head. Told you, it's weird. His tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and he, who was ready to give birth, and he was ready to devour her child as soon as it was, as it was born. Sounds like something we've probably read in scriptures before, right? There's this woman who gives birth who the enemy is w- eagerly waiting to destroy because he knows that this is the answer to sin for all of mankind. Obviously, if you didn't know this, I'm going to be very obvious right now, the dragon represents the devil, okay? Fiery red dragon waiting to destroy something. That's the, that's the devil, She bore a male child who was to rule all of the nations with a rod of iron. And her her child was caught up to God and his throne. Interesting, right? A woman bore a child who was destined to rule the nations. Starting to sound like the gospel, right? If you didn't get it, the woman with the stars on her head and stuff. This represents Israel or Mary. Right? The one who actually bore the Savior. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. War broke out in the heavens. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail, nor was the place, a place found for them in heaven any longer. Okay? So here comes the gospel. Ready? So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. Sound familiar? That serpent from the very beginning of time? He's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now! Salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Let me read that again. Remember, this child is born. Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now here's the gospel. Are you ready? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, 
And they did not love their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. Remember in Genesis where I just showed you that a sacrifice was made to overcome the enemy and clothe us in righteousness, right? To make a covenant with us again. And then, and then we look back into the very end of what is to come and it, the enemy is again overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We talked about that today. Let us not forget what you've done for us. That song we sang and we sang and we sang. Let us not forget it's because testimony is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation says that testimony is the, is the prophecy. It's saying of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, which means to do it again. They did not forget what he had done. They did not forget that the blood of the lamb was the very thing that overcame the enemy in the first place. And they remembered the testimony, and they conquered the enemy once again. So we see in Genesis, the conquering of the enemy. We see in Revelation, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. I'm giving you tools right now if you didn't recognize it. you got to remember the blood of the Lamb. Remember the word of our testimony, right? It's the very thing that pulls us out of sin. It's the very thing that allows us to conquer conquer. This big, ugly dragon of sin in our lives. If you're stuck in sin and you're like, oh, I just, I'm just waiting for God to show up and do it. I'm going to just keep sinning. I'm going to keep looking at pornography. I'm going to keep drinking. I'm going to keep doing X, Y, Z, fill in the blanks until the Lord just delivers me. Remember what he's done for you. He literally gave you a book of 66 reasons why you have permission over death, to bruise your heel on the head of the enemy. You get to do it now through him. Don't just sit there and wait for him to do it. Remind yourself of what he has already done and overcome it already. It's time to grow up a little bit. Take some responsibility for your own sin. The deceiver's already been crushed. So you're just giving a... When you are actively engaging in sin, unrepentantly... And you're like, I'm just going to sit here and wait. Not going to repent. The Lord will do it. All you're doing is giving life to a headless snake. That's pretty pathetic. The enemy has been defeated. He said, forget not what I've done for you. And by the, my blood and by the word of my testimony, you will overcome. That is good news, guys. It's good news. Someone say amen. That's right. You guys are allowed to talk in church. Not to each other, but to me, you can. All right. Give me five more minutes, okay? This is the best part. So we talked about the beginning. We talked about the end. Now we get to talk about the here and now, okay? If the gospel is not a here and now answer, then it's no gospel at all. If you know about the gospel in Genesis and you know the gospel to come in Revelation, but you actually don't walk out the gospel right here, right now, you're believing the wrong gospel. That's a powerless gospel. And the gospel is not just like this. Get out a free card. Yeah, I believe the gospel. 
No, the, believing the gospel will actually change something in your life. And now the gospel is like, I'm not going to get into, there's six million different directions I could have went with this. And six million different options, not actual six million, don't hold me to that. But there's a thousand ways I could have I've showed you the gospel in the scriptures. I could have went to the obvious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? That is the, the gospel here and now. The life of Jesus, the perfect, spotless sacrifice. You came and lived to show us how it was done. He came, he died, rose again three days later, he conquered death, and then ascended back into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came down on earth. That is the gospel that we all know and love. And it's the, all, it's the, the, only, it's the gospel that we need to know and love. If you don't know that gospel, that was the gospel in three seconds, okay? But now we have to actually apply this, apply this gospel to our life. Because the gospel is applying that blood of Jesus Christ to our lives as that substitution. You know, when he died, when the blood of Jesus was applied to us, like in Genesis, in Revelation, when I'm talking about the blood, it's not just like, it's not blood of an actual lamb that is like bad, bad, black sheep, right? It's the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. The only blood that actually has power. In Genesis and Revelation, it's talking about Jesus. When Jesus applied that blood to our lives, there's this thing called substitutionary atonement. That's a fancy word for this great exchange that happened. We were sinners. We were dead in sin. And the wages of that sin was death. But the gift of God was eternal life. So when we put our belief in him... We apply that blood to our lives. He actually takes our sin and applies his righteousness to us. And he pays in your debt of death in full at that very moment. Okay? So the gospel is applying the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives as that substitution for our sins. And then we, in response, get to apply our heel to the head of the enemy. We, we get to wear the righteousness of Christ, and where sin is abounding, the righteousness of God abounds much more. Where sin is tearing apart our families, bruise your heel. Where sin is ripping you apart, rip it apart. You have permission You have authority. You have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. And you have the victory. When Jesus said it was finished, that's when all of your excuses went out the window. When he said it is finished, that was his heel doing this. Defeated. Oh, wait a second. He's still wiggling. Oh, no. Still defeated. When, he went, when Jesus went to hell, took back the keys, and rose again three days later, that was the victory. All of heaven and earth heard it. All of heaven and earth heard the crushing of the skull of the enemy, and they knew that it was finished. Now, if we don't apply this to our lives, it's a weak gospel. If you don't actually believe Put your real belief in him and actually walk as a victor, you will become a victim. 
If you're not walking in freedom, you'll become a slave to this world. If you don't die to your sin, or if you die to your sin, but don't raise back to life in Christ, you'll remain in the grave. But when you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, there is that moment that happens in the blink of an eye where the head of the enemy is crushed in your life. I'm going to end with this. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, if you read that Bible verse and say, I'm going to go handle deadly snakes and hope for the best, you're wrong. Okay? Because that's just silly. But if you read that verse and say, wait a second, I get to apply my heel to the head of this enemy and walk in victory, you're absolutely right. We see the conquering of the enemy, the crushing of his head in Genesis. We see the overcoming of the old serpent in Revelation. And now in um, Luke chapter 10, we see the crushing of the enemy here and now and until the Lord returns. He's lifeless, he's dead, and he has no permission, no authority to harass you any longer. Now you get to walk out of here and do one of two things. Keep living the way that you were living. Or you get to stand up and strike the head of the enemy in your life and actually do something about it. Yes, seriously. 100% seriously. 100% seriously. You get to literally, physically apply your blood-covered heel, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, to the rotten head of the enemy. And you have permission. You have not just permission, you have the only authority to do that for yourself. You get to walk in power. Not just power to elevate yourself, but the, the power to overcome death in your life. The power to overcome death in your family. The power to overcome sin. That's awesome. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ alive and active in your life. You get to walk in authority and with every step you take when you walk in authority, you're hearing the crushing of the serpent's head beneath your feet. So you have, you have two, two chances, two options here. Walk out. Walk powerless. Or stand up and crush his head. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Let's everyone stand up. God, we thank you for your authority. Everyone say thank you. God, we praise you for the opportunity to crush the head of the enemy in our lives right now. And I'm just going to, I just feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you need set free right now from sin, just come on up here. If you want to walk in authority over sin, come and our deacons and elders will lay hands on you. If you're like, listen, I get it. I heard the message, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. Come on up here. If you want to conquer sin in your life, you have permission and authority in Jesus' name. So God, we thank you for the authority. We, we give you honor and glory. And we, God, we pray that, I pray right now that each and every heel in this church is bruising the head of every serpent that they come across, God. 
We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you for the gospel alive and active in our city and in our church, God. We thank you that we can be free from sin in Jesus' name. We thank you that we can conquer death in Jesus' name. We thank you that you have given us authority, God, and you have given us eternal life and life more abundantly. God, we love you, and we honor you, and we worship you so much, God. And the whole church said, amen. And my wife has something to say. I just kind of felt like the Lord, there may be people in here that this message is awesome. But if you don't know your identity, like who you are, that God is for you and not against you, to recognize that God hates sin and wants it out of your life can just seem very coach-like or very distant. If you don't understand that like he wants it because he wants relationship with you. He wants it because he wants you to have the most freedom that you could absolutely have and that you don't have to wait until heaven to get that freedom. So also, if, you, if you're dealing with sin in your life and you have been trying and trying over and over again, you need a revelation of the love that God has for you, that he, indeed he did come and he has come and he is coming to, to stomp the snake. But you need a revelation that the Lord will do that for you, that his anger burns against the enemy for you because he's a jealous God, that anything that stands in the way of love, he will remove for you. And it's not by, it's not by how much you try, but by a revelation of his love for you. That is what Brock is preaching. And I'm just adding to or, or joining with. I think there's people that don't have a revelation that God will come and conquer that sin for you. And that's what you need. And also he's speaking because there is in, in, in even biblical history, you see churches affected by culture and our culture is very victim mentality. It's like cool to be a victim. It is not cool to be a victim guys. And we have the, we have this identity that we need to step into to be victorious because God is for you and not against you because God is with you because God loves you. So if you even sense that you have this victim mentality, if you sense that you don't know God is for you and not against you, I'd also encourage you to come up and get prayer. Even if you're afraid of what people think it looks like, who cares? Just close your eyes and run up and get prayer. So you're released at this moment to go home, to stay here, to get prayer, to meet somebody, to greet somebody. I don't care what you do, but you have the freedom to go and be free in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.